Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then, dig if you will this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. Bet, you've been out and done the groceries for the day, and, you know, you're coming back across the roof, just flitting along as you do, making no sound at all. It is about 10.30 in the morning. Timothée is still sleeping. The direct sun has just started and will last until afternoon. As you open the front door, there is a stack of boxes covered in piskies. What the? And there is an explosion of butterfly and dragonfly wings as this column of little tiny fae go streaming out the open door all around you. It makes you drop the bagels. Timothy, uh, from the top of the stairs, you see a pillar of fairies go rushing out the door all around Arabet and a stack of boxes that you recognize as being from the tailor shop. Uh, Arabet, what's uh, going on? Yeah, Arabet. Uh, what indeed? Where did he get those fancy clothes? They look brand new and tailor-made. They weren't in his closet when you put him to bed. And what's with all these boxes? You tell me. Well, um, you know how messy the greenhouse can get sometimes? The greenhouse does not get messy unless you don't pick up after yourself, as evident here. Um, well, I was going to pick up after myself. I had the idea of picking up after myself in my mind. If he gave me another hour or two, I would have picked up after myself. What time is it, Timothy? Well, it's about... About... I'm guessing about seven? Maybe six. It's early. Early? Early? No, no. You didn't happen to get something useful in all these boxes like a sword. I think I have one lying around somewhere. So... Sparring today, sir? Tim, you just got a new sword and you've never used it before. What happens if you get mugged on the way home today? Well, I'd manage. A proper footpad knows preparation beats 
improvisation every single time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, then. You have 15 minutes. I'll be outside. 15? Normally it's half an hour. Boy, that's barely enough time to get through your first croissant and coffee. I think I might have to cut down on the croissant and just coffee this morning. Well, thankfully, there is some of that, and it's hot. It's also about six hours old because Arabette brews up first thing in the morning. Arabette, what time is it? I proceed out onto the rooftop. Oh, Timothy, it's fencing lesson time. Oh, lovely. Now, you've seen him wear the rapier before, all the time, in fact. It's part of his wardrobe. Any stylish gentleman of Bailey Mina can wear one and get away with it, right? It's a dangerous city, so it makes sense to go armed. But if his reputation is anything to be believed, and as his apprentice, you realize that his reputation is an understatement of anything. I mean, when you were running with the pennies, Arabette was rumored to be quick enough with that thing to cut the eyelashes off a butterfly passing by in flight. Bet on Arabette, huh? <laughs> and now that he's sitting there, Looking at you, irked. It seems really prudent to skip the croissant, in fact, and maybe just get changed and go get your fencing lesson. Yeah. So as Timothy runs upstairs to get changed, you stop and look at these boxes, which, interestingly enough, you dreamed and yet have come real, along with the clothes that you've been wearing. This is a puzzle that's making your magician's mind itch. It's something that you should probably work on, but for now, there's Arabet to consider, right? Triage. Fix the most immediate problem first. Right. Yet. One of the things that was in the boxes was a long walking stick, wherein was concealed a gentleman's saber blade. So, if you're going to get your ass whipped, you probably should have something to defend yourself with. So, you, you need to get this stick with the sword on it out of the boxes. So... You stop as you open the boxes. The first one is just a, a suit of clothes and shoes and everything like that and all the accessories. The second box is, again, the third one contains a suit of clothes and a box of, well, all oh, your business cards. When did I get these again? Oh, right. Right. So you flip them open because, like, I mean, they're they're cool and it takes half a second to look at them. But as you take one out, it says... T.S. Boulanger, Junior Clark, Starkweather and Fair. There's a Starkweather and Fair script on the top of the card. It's really a nice, heavy, expensive, thick linen paper. The calligraphy is exquisite, and uh, it has all of your credentials written in a beautiful hand. And then everything shifts on the card. The letters squirm and change, switch form from one letter to another. And the message, which is spelled on the card, goes from Stark Weather and Fair, T.S. Boulanger, Junior Clark, to just fills up with all of these diagrams and words and symbols and letters and, you know, spinning glyphs and all this other sort of thing. It hums in your hand. And like now, your magician's mind is like, well, shit, this is magical. You can, you can just feel it. There's that prickle on the you get every time you're around magic, right? Ooh, it's early. And finally, there's a glyph which says in bright, it's a big, bright, shiny, red button looking dot, which says in common glyphs 
all around it, press here. I'll press it. <laughs> and suddenly the greenhouse is filled with an explosion of floating eldritch diagrams. Some of them are maps. Some of them are legends. Some of them are like, you know, equipment lists, what you'll need, that sort of thing. It's a list of what you'll need to get Nari and how to find him once you get into the dream. Whoa. Um, whoa. Now you look on the card and the button is gone, replaced with two pulsing words. I need to tell everybody about this. Um, okay, okay. I need to run. Arabet, the door to the greenhouse bursts open and a very hasty Timote runs out with a stick in one hand and a business card in the other. Now, he is properly dressed. You know, he's wearing his foot pad shoes and things that he can sweat in, you know, move well in, but uh, a stick and a card. Bet, 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 bet. You need to see this. Oh, really? Yeah, look at this card. It is a square of white linen paper that says Stark Weather and Fair T.S. Boulanger Junior Clark Isn't it crazy? It would seem that Master Nari has been in communication with you. Uh, yeah. You need to come inside. Bet, make a perception check, please. I have a total of 19. Okay, so yes, it definitely looks like Nari's been in touch. This is definitely the sort of thing that Nari would do, and it has that same sort of oogie feeling that Nari's... Well, that Nari does, you know? That slightly more real-than-real real feeling that happens around Nari. Timothy, tell me what happened. So I wake up. Uh, you wake me up, actually. And then you leave. I am looking for my sword. And then I think, ooh, cards, right? So I look at my cards. And then uh, a little bit of magic happens. Poof, puff, whatever, right? The yeah, I, I press my card. I press the card, right? I see a whole bunch of, like, maps and, like, lists and stuff, you know? You know, you know how we need to go save Nari, right? It's the master plan. Indeed. The master plan. Now, the, the card has gotten cold at the touch, Arabet. I turn it over in my hand. You turn it over in your hand and see that it goes from being linen paper to being a very, very thin piece of mithril. And when you turn it back over... It looks the same color as the linen paper, but there is a glyph in the center, which you know to be, it's a, it's a magic trigger. Now, you can use them for traps. You can use them for devices. They're handy bits of arcanistry, and, like, I mean, there's really not much magic to them. Really, they're just the trigger. All the magic happens with the spell that they trigger, right? You know this. They're pretty easy to take care of once you know how. So... You could disarm this one, but you have a feeling it's not a trap. Just call it neck hairs. So? You press this? Yeah, it says press here. Well, now it doesn't. It said press here. Now it says chop, chop. 
Yes, it does. I thumb the, the uh, card into my wallet <clears throat> and secure it on my pouch and say, Timote, he's waited this long. He'll wait until the end of your lesson. What? But everything's right here. We could get this started. Really? Is Master Calder here? Is Mistress Ziva here? We could go get them. Right? Right now? You have a spell phone. You don't need to go anywhere. And there goes my last chance of getting out of this lesson. The camera takes the view from one of the surrounding towers high above. As we zoom in on the wharf side edifice we see first the glinting of the greenhouse and then here the clashing of blades arabet and timote are hard in the middle of sparring using the varied topography of the rooftop with its chimneys and vents and mechanical buildings and whatnot like that the two are playing a kind of fencing tag pressing hard not to wound but to gain advantage Timothy has come a long way since you started teaching him, Bet. He is easily a match for most things he'll meet on the street. But, like any good apprentice, he keeps trying to beat you. Uh, roll initiative, gentlemen. 23. Okay. 11. Well, that's pretty clear cut. Arabet, you're up. Um... Yes, indeed. Uh, I got uh, 19 to hit. Pretty sure that gets him, Timothy. Yep. Go ahead and describe your attack, please, Arabet. Arabet brings his sword and feints towards Timothy's groin and then brings it right up underneath his chin. Uh, your jaw your, your jaw snaps shut. You bite your tongue a little bit. It's... Uh, it's a stinger, but just enough to wake you up. You step back a little bit. So, I mean, now he's got you up. He's got you awake. Yeah, okay. Now your blood's flowing. Push your sleeves back and you and Arabet start circling each other in a backwards motion. So, I have to use a sword, eh? Well, that would defeat the purpose of learning it if you didn't use it. Oh, geez. All right. Well, I'm going to do my best to slash out Arabet then. Roll. Well, I have a 13. Now, you've seen him shoot the legs off a fly at 20 paces with his bolters. You knew he could do that. But this here, the way he moves with that rapier of his, just with aplomb, with grace, he's Estimondine in extraction. But you know what they say about the Estimondine, right? They're very passionate people, very hot-blooded right and when he moves with this sword it's like he's painting a picture with a paintbrush you know it's artistic you miss top of the round go ahead timothy go ahead oh yeah all right i'm going to well i mean i'm gonna slash at him again i has to hit this time roll it Oh, this time it's a unnatural 20. So 
you should have reposted. You really should have taken that repost because the kid is a little quicker than you thought. He uh, brings it up and catches you a sharp one just under your right eye. It's a clip on your cheekbone, but close enough. And, you know, it has the desired effect. It rattles you for a second. And as you step back, kind of cussing under your breath in Estamondine, you just let him have it like a full backhand. Let him know how strong you are. And uh, Arabet, this one catches you square on the tip of your chin and turns your head, rings your bell. You can feel your knees shake, in fact. Well done, Timothée. Touché, touché. Now, my turn. So I get 22 to hit. Okay, so Timothy, you you nail him a good one. Like just show, like I said, show him how strong you are. And uh, okay, he gets the message, but then you know instantly it dawns on you that you just fucking clocked Arabet of all people, Mister Arabet. You know the guy who every nobody on Copper Penny Row will fuck with, even Thrasher. Yeah, and when he turns his face back to you and says that, um, you know, maybe you took it a little too far with the fury. So he's going to whoop you, and uh, he does. It's a full-on five-knuckle punch with that basket hilt right in the jo- right in the chop. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. It staggers your back, splits your lip, and... Uh, there's a there's that spray, you know, because let's face it, Tim's hasn't had Tim hasn't had his mouth punched open too many times. So there's that spray as his lip breaks. Poof! Now you have a boxer's scar. Arabet adds character. Tim, back to you. Oh, actually, it's back to Arabet, who held his action. Oh no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you held your action and let it go. So Arabet, you go again. I get 17 to hit. Above my armor. That'll get him. And in this situation, I'm going to try and trip him. Okay, Tim, I need you to make a dexterity save. What was your, uh, what was your hit number there? Uh, 17. I do not beat 17. It's like 14. So, yeah, this time he, uh, he dumps you flat on your ass. You land with an unceremonious crunch on your back on the gravel on the roof, and uh, your lip is split, and it feels like your teeth are loose, and you're seeing stars, and now you can't breathe because all the wind's knocked out of you. And fuck, this day started out so well. At least it's sunny. Timothy, hold for a second. Do you understand where your weakness is? My weakness? I'm just not much of a fencer. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the weakness. The weakness is you believe you're not much of a fencer. It's too... posh, you know? Oh, posh is it? You call what I do posh, eh? Yeah, it's like, well, it's like the rich people fighting, you know? Timothy, you now represent a lawyer. Doesn't mean I'm a lawyer. No, it means you're a step up on the street, though, now. You're not a copper penny anymore. 
Well, I, I knew that, but that wasn't always the level of the street, was I? You aspired to it. Fair. So now you have to decide, Timothy. Are you always going to be a cut purse or are you going to be a gentleman? Ugh, gentle this, gentle that. But then gentle, eh? That Luca. That Luca girl, Lucrezia, the one who stopped by the greenhouse after you got stabbed? I hardly even remember, honestly. Knocked your eyes out, buddy. She was, uh, she was class. She was grace. She was beautiful. And she's a gentlewoman thief. Like, you she need looked... to be a chameleon. Go ahead, sorry. You need to be a chameleon, Timothy. You have to be able to adopt to your environment. You now have business clothes, it would seem, and a posh walking stick, which is also a sword. That's not just for show, you know. It kind of feels like it. <laughs> and that's your weakness. You're not sure of it. Like that stick is definitely not for show. It's it's a Nuni Burlwood handle. Like the, the stick, this the stick parts, the wooden sorry. The wooden parts are from a Nuni oak. And the steel is Maravian. Quite simply, it is a it, it's not an ostentatious weapon. It's not showy at all, but it is well made. It is enchantment grade. I'm just trying to appeal to your better senses here, my boy. You need to grow the fuck up and realize that your life is always on the line in Bailey Mina. Yeah, okay. I get it. Do you get it? Then... The second thing you need to know is that when you can't win one way, you win another. Oh, yeah? So what's the other way of winning in this? Stack the deck in your favor. Look, boy, I've been fighting with you one hand right now. I could fight you with two and win more, even more readily than I have because I could use my thumb cutter as well as my rapier. And then you'd be in sorry, sorry shit. What is your offhand trick? Timothy, I need you to roll a will save then. I have a plus... Wait. I have eight. Oh, really? This beat me more readily than you have. Give me shit, Tim. Don't fucking have that. All right. I think it might be time to cast Shocking Grasp. Okay. You know what your offhand trick is? It's a fistful of fucking lightning, Big Mouth. That's what it is. Timothy, his, his, his posture stiffens, his shoulders square, bet, and there's the smell of ozone in the air. And so, as he whirls around with his offhanded trick, it's a goddamn good thing that you're going to roll a reflex save. It's also good I have an uncanny dodge. <laughs> yes, it is. And my save is 25. Okay. What's your armor class? Only 15. 
Let me tell you, roll the hit. I have a 16. Okay, so you've got him by the jacket and give him a good jolt, just enough to make him dance, right? Fancy footwork indeed, except he's no longer in his jacket. Arabet, that was fucking close. But he seemed to get the point. From where you're standing on top of a vent six feet up and back, <laughs> you had to literally get out of your coat. If you've ruined that coat. There's that smirk again, Tim. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry for your coat. Arabit sits down next to Tim. Timothy, you can't half-ass your way along the streets. I don't think I was half-ass in there, was I? You didn't come ready for the fight. All right. Now. I'm not angry at you. I just wanted to lay a couple things on you. And uh, this is just some advice. You're going to take this shit home and your father's going to give you shit that you ain't had in ages from him. Yep. Do you know why? Because I ended up getting my ass kicked just now. No. He's not going to care about your bloody lip. He's going to care more about the... Thousands of dollars worth of clothing you're walking into your apartment with. That's more money than that man has seen in his lifetime. Huh. Timothy, you can't afford to be a kid anymore. Tim, can I get you to roll a uh, wisdom check, please? I got a 22. Beautiful. As Arabet says, Timothy, you just can't afford to be a kid anymore. There's a resonance there. This isn't the copper pennies anymore. This is the real, real stuff. This is Thrasher League shit. This is no more Tim the Baker's boy. You are a name in Bailey Mina now, along with this firm, in the guild, no less. Thanks to Arabet. It was cool to be cool, but he's right, Tim. I'm silent. You have to decide whether you're going to be a baker's apprentice or whether you're going to move your shit into the greenhouse and start really learning. Maybe it's time to finally learn. Well, then, there's a cot in there that's not being used, so you're welcome to it. But you have to make the peace with your father. And leave that shit here. He doesn't need to know you're walking around with a lifetime's worth of gold on your on your skin. Yes, sir. We cut over to the parlor where putting a plate back up on a high cupboard, having taken it down to dust it. Primus pats his waistcoat, retrieves his buzzing spell phone, and patiently watches as the glowing glyphs slither into being in the ether just in front of his face. Once he's received his instructions, he snaps the compact closed. The next time we see him, he's wearing an overcoat and carrying a traditional-looking picnic basket. Ziva loads into the gig and drives down the street. The camera cuts out again, 
and reopens as the gig rattles up to the Calder and Company warehouse, where Primus gets out, gives the reins a tug, makes the horse sit, and he locks the gig, walks up, and waits by the door. Thank you. Do you want to come and help? (laughs) She gives him a little hug. He gives her an awkward hug back because he's a zombie and has just learned to respond like this. He's progressing nicely, by the way, Ziva. You've really done a good job. After that thing with his ear the other day, like you took some time that evening and did the mending and fixed the damage and cleaned everything out and put the fucking screens back in, right? You have to. You've done a great job of keeping up on that. The diet you've kept him on for the last three or four months is really showing signs. And the necrification process is happening. His body has replaced the vital flesh with organics that you feed him through the tube in his nose. <gasps> You're looking so good. I... Oh. Okay, I want to show him off. I'm gonna, I want to bring him inside and show him off. Okay, well, he just fall. He has the basket handed out to you, and you haven't taken it yet. You gave him a hug, and, and you like turn yeah, around and head him back inside. up the stairs. So, with his average, not quite shrugging, lurchy way, he just walks in, closes the door, and stomps up the steps behind you. And just after a spot of lunch for you upstairs, gentlemen, you can hear the crunching of Ziva's boots on the gravel of the roof, followed by the heavy footsteps of who can only be Primus. She comes up with, with him behind her. I brought this stuff. Do you have coffee? Um, Bet you mentioned that you should that you thought you could get Delilah to look after the store while you were gone, but uh, nobody's actually gotten around to asking her. That's true. Probably remedy that. Well, who wants to come with? Where are we going? Uh, we're gonna go see someone who's gonna caretake the acre for us. Well, Arabette, unless I'm absolutely required, I I have to say I'd rather stay here and try to walk on this belt. I'm more than a little uncomfortable gallivanting about Bailey Mina and my current state. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, I know. It sucks, though, because you're so cute. Be that as it may, I think I'll stay here. Timothy, you ready to go see the women? Woman. <laughs> yeah, you remember. They served you breakfast not long ago. Oh. Knife woman. Okay, I already like her. Speaking of Delilah, we cut over to the guild house. Where uh, you're just turning in your weekly your weekly paper. You know, you do it yourself. You uh, don't send any of your apprentices to do it. Because, you know... Well, let's just say they've been registered with numbers. You're mindful of other people's privacy and all, right? Besides, the den of thieves in here. 
Exactly. And I mean, nobody is more mindful of privacy than one who constantly invades it professionally. I'm just convincing, okay? But you're turning in your your weekly paper, your progress reports, your financial statements, your weekly taxes, and all this other sort of thing, as a journey person of the guild. When Luca, who is there for her own business and dressed like a milkmaid for some reason, like, it's surprising how well she blends. In terms of getting in places and vanishing into characters, she's Daniel Day-Lewis, man. She's Kate Blanchett. You know? But she's she comes, Nari Hulu. She's Nari Hulu. She comes strolling out of the guild house and uh, professionally fails to notice you. And uh, as she walks by, a uh, piece of paper falls out of her handbag and she rushes off towards the door. There's no contact. She won't even she won't even pause. Very professional. You should commend her for it later. There's this little shop where she loves the chocolates. We'll stop by and get some on the way home. Good idea. But it would seem she's going to drop you a note. Lila scoops it up, hardly breaking stride, and uh, slips it into her pocket for now. No need for looky-loos. Besides, you've got some chocolates to buy, right? I prefer to do my reading somewhere more private. Like a buster. <laughs> anyway. It's uh, it, it's a quick stroll over to the Chocolatier and then, uh, you know, a ride all the way out to North Shore on the Buster because that's where they stop following you and before you can go home. This is why I also carry a regular book. But you pull into the Bramble. Having read the note that Luca gave you, uh, like uh, that's basically where you get to, like where you get any time where there's nobody looking to see what you're up to, right? It's all so competitive at this level. There's another thing: if you had thought, as a you know young journeywoman starting out, that the pursuit of mastery would be this involved and this, like this much bullshit involved, ever so competitive. There's only so many spots every year, you know? Anyway, you read the notes. Best part. Well, how about that? Her lip curls up a little bit in disgust, even reading the name. She takes another look at the note to be sure she's reading it correctly. And then sighs. Right there in that beautiful Venadine calligraphy that Luca favors. Bet may be a son of a bitch, but he's a son of a bitch that owes me a favor. And uh, clearly, Despard can't get the other hand, upper hand. Wouldn't be good for him to have two territories in that end of town. Wouldn't be good for anybody. Like, he's on the other side of the courthouse district now, and not too much of a pain in Thrasher's ass. But... If he got Lost Acre, then he'd have Thrasher on both sides. And that's not good for Thrasher. And Thrasher's business 
is a cornerstone business in that end of town. Anything happens to Thrasher, Old Bailey Mina is going to be a bloodbath for however long it takes, and that's going to cost every other business in Bailey Mina. That's just not acceptable and sounds like a complete nightmare. Really wouldn't give you, it really wouldn't help your chances of moving up either. And let's face it, it's not like you decided to be a guild mistress two weeks ago or anything. You've been working at this. Oh, if I had known then what I know now. Still, the game's afoot and somebody's got to play it. Right? And fucking Despard. Fuck you, man. No way. No, no, the exact opposite of that, in fact. I didn't say what you'd be fucking him with. Leave that up for ladies' choice. But no, like, fuck him. Galio Despard? Seriously. You still owe him a punch in the throat. Throat may be aiming a little high for that one. There's absolutely no way that can happen. And I don't know that Bet's got the savvy to get out of it on his own. So clearly he needs me again. Clearly, Delilah, a woman's touch is necessary. I mean, him and his it, it's just him and his and Timote, like and Thrasher and like what? All men in that organization, no wonder it's going to fall over. Well, it looks like it's going to be an interesting night. Lila sits down and has a cup of tea and then uh, gets back out to head over to Lost Acre. There's a basket waiting by the door before as you're leaving. Within the basket are a crock of fresh churn butter, some deliciously sweet wildberry preserves, and like I do mean various wildberries of the north, just picked from out of the various bushes and trees um, in the north of Venado and, uh, you know, Estamont, and uh, six freshly baked, very buttery smelling croissants, and two six-shooter pistols. Well, someone knows how to arm a girl. She uh, nibbles at one of the croissants and looks for uh, some sort of attribution. Oh, these are, these are, this is all Ursa. Ah, good. Wouldn't want anybody else able to sneak things in here. Well, she's the only other one who's here. And, you know, yes, she's a bear, but she's also a rogue. So, anyway, so you grab the basket and out the door you go. All right, Calder, so everybody has bustled off to ask Delilah to keep an eye on the acre. And you are by yourself without, well, in a, like, I mean, you don't have your spell up because it only burns for so long and you can only do that so many times in a day. And so you are, for lack of a better term, well, I guess you are undisguised in your new de facto workshop in the warehouse, which has gotten quite expansive. As the camera looks around the room, we see that the well-organized but small handyman's do-it-yourself workshop from Caller's Curiosities has been moved here and expanded over the past few weeks. The tools hang on their pegboards. They're not outlined, but 
it's clear where everything goes and the place is lit with this style of lights that Ziva uses in her garage and Calder stands there in the sharp light from the overhead lamp gleaming off his hematite scales um it's gonna be a while before you can distill that much bilatinum and Ziva is working on a possible very tenuous source of uh, the stuff you'll need but for now I mean um, you should probably work on fixing that lock the the belt is a it's pinned it can't go any further right now all right so uh, yeah we got my uh, tools out uh, thumb on cabulator and uh, I'm all set uh, for work nice uh, hot cup of spicy tea and uh, I think it's time for some music what are we listening to today oh I think I think we're gonna go a little bombastic I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good think uh, thinking positive about uh, a major breakthrough today so uh, you know let's show some faith with uh, some nice big opera aria very good so the Dobrish are fans of the pomp and circumstance bombast style whereas um, Paraduans those uh, Janai elementalists they're surprisingly raucous for ambient sounding like for sorry they're surprisingly raucous for operas composed of ambient sounds those are the two I'd recommend uh, we'll we'll go with that second one. I like uh, I like that. That sounds good. Uh, I will uh, intentionally not wake up uh, grandfather right now. I want to see how far I can get, uh, but I will uh, spin up the uh, thumb and cabulator, get it all warmed up and ready, and uh, let's dive in. One of the things that is on your pegboards that has nothing else around it is the the uh, holder. Sorry, one of the things on your pegboard which has nothing else in the area around it is the hanger for your kukri. And that's where it sits now, safely ensheathed in uh, the, well, what we now know to be dragon skin leather of its scabbard, its brass fittings. Um, occasionally crackle with static, but with just a glance, you can tell the old worm is sleeping deeply in his dream. Excellent. Okay, so what do I see in front of me? Okay, so your Thawmoon Cabulator provided you with the information that it was a number six lock that you needed. This one appears to have a nine emblazoned on it, which when you turn it upside down, sure enough, is a six. And uh, it seems to look like it would fit the gap left in the overall frame of the mirror. As you put it in there, sure enough, it slides in without any resistance. The shell is still a little round to fit the rest of the woodwork, but as you've had it sitting on your desk, it is flattened appreciably and is, uh, you know, starting to resemble the frame more and more. It won't be long now. Um, maybe you can't fit it in 
rate at the moment, there is still a gap. But once it's finished flattening, it should fit seamlessly. Unless you wanted to try to weld it. I'm not quite ready for that. That's feeling a little uh, permanent. That's, uh, yeah. So uh, we'll, uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still looking. It would be the work of a few hours to distill some Eldwood sap into a viscous enough uh, fluidity that you could dry it out and fabricate. If you used Eldwood slivers, you could fabricate some uh, wooden welding rods, which you could then use to complete the fusion of the wood so that it's not glued, but a a true fusion. Um, Should there be any gaps? And, you know, you might as well. But... uh, I mean, that's the work of a few seconds if you decide to do it. Fair enough. I, my sense is what I'd like to do is I like, I want to see if I can just, uh, you know, push a little bit of uh, inverse ethereal current through this thing. I want to make sure that when this uh, gets, when the uh, cardinal thermometers get all synchronized up, I just want to make sure this is going to like snap into place and it's going to flow properly. So what I'm imagining is uh, how do I sort of breathe just a little, you get the thumb and calculator here, charge up the the lock and just see if I can get it to basically complete the circuit. Um, I think this is a, a, a little bit of uh, artifice, but it's also a little bit of t- detect magic. Uh, oh, so I'll get out my, uh, uh, I'll get out my monocle to for some inspection, uh, some before and after, make sure everything's calm and and quiet right now. Uh, and then once I start charging things up, I want to make sure that I see it. But I, I just want to see this thing work. I, I don't mean work in terms of unlock, but work in terms of connect to the mirror and that I can get the um, uh, the uh, uh, the ethereal current to flow between the two pieces. Um, once I have that done, uh, then, then I think uh, I think uh, getting some uh, Aldwood shims uh, and fusing this whole thing together makes a lot of sense, but I, I want to make sure that I, I'm doing it for the right reason, like it's going to work. Very good. So you dry fit it. And uh, looking through your monocles, you know, use various splinters to set it off to the point where it isn't arcing because there is an arc to start with like some thomachrome snaps and sparks of light so you set it there and once you've got it all shimmed off you set the thomoencabulator to a diagnostic slash repair mode so uh, like the the thermoencabulator has like these six uh, vapocoptic venture veins. So I'm going to turn off like five of them. I just need a trickle to go through this. Just enough to spin up the lunar wing shaft. The, uh, the wing shaft gets spinning and causes the thermoelectric charge that you were hoping to achieve. It's uh, there's a soft brown glow around the edge of the frame for a moment and the color of the mirror turns thomachrome for a second uh you can see this through the monocle but not with your naked eye um however the glow and the thomachrome color of the mirror quickly subside you can see that yes you have it's not perfect it will require a bit of uh, a bit of sealing up here and there i mean it's amazing that it's come as you know, it's amazing that it's survived as well as it has, being separate for this long and in a completely different shape and, in fact, being a snail. But, you know, it looks like it's going to work. Being a, a dragon of many things, uh, as I'm doing this work, I, I actually, my mind wanders slightly. And I'm thinking about how I could uh, maybe work with Ziva 
And I wonder if I could get the, this monocle, uh, the artifice that I built, to somehow work with my nictating lenses. Because uh, then I could close them and get detect magic and no one would know what's going on. And then I squirrel that away for another day. Take a breath, get focused up. I roll 13 on our Arcana, plus 7, total of 20 uh, to uh, start uh, the fusing process. Um, I think that uh, the first thing I need to do is uh, produce more uh, Eldwood uh, tincture, and uh, I need quite a bit of it this time. So I'm imagining a, a, a mad laboratory series of uh, beakers and distillers and uh, no Bunsen burners. I just do that by hand uh, and things like that uh, to, to get this thing uh, going and start to, uh, to produce enough of this so that I can uh, um, fully coat uh, each Eldwood splinter uh, in preparation uh, for the fusing. It's probably three hours later, and what you're left with is um, half a dozen Eldwood splinters coated in a like like a, a hard, clear coating that resembles nothing so much as rock candy. So we have these uh, splinters, and I've, I've sort of uh, I've done all the work and uh, carefully distilled out uh, the Eldwood, uh, the tincture of Eldwood now from the sap. And uh, as as I've gone, as I was producing it, I was putting the splinters in so they could start to uh, soak up uh, the the tincture. So now that I'm ready, um, uh, and they're 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 still wood, like tap 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 on the table, still wood. But right before I put them in, um, so quick pause. Um, what would be the best thomic metal? Uh, do are we still using mithril? Um, mithril is the most commonly available, but the tippity toppity do know better is adamant. Oh, all right. So, um, I have these, uh, 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 cured splinters now, right? Eldwood splinters cured in tincture of Eldwood and, uh, tap, 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 still fully solid. Uh, but I'll go to my very sparse supply of adamant and, uh, take out a filament wire. And uh, I'll run that into um, the uh, the thermoencabulator through the uh, panendermic semibolite slot. And here I'm going to be able to connect it directly uh, to the uh, to the ether pipe, um, so that I can uh, uh, get a very very specific kind of charge. Um, I'll start off with uh, the monocle, and I'll uh, bring it up uh, from that. Um, I had that uh, down to one vapocoptic uh, uh, matcher vein. This is a little bit tricky because these are stepped. Right, like I can't do three and a half. These things are either on or off, so I've got to do a little bit of work here uh, to to calibrate it the right way. But what I'll do is I'll uh, get this all set up right next to the lock. What I'm able to do, or what my intent here, is to be able to uh, touch uh, each splinter um, uh, to the adamite um, uh, filament, and then uh, have just enough um, uh, th uh, thomic energy and just enough ethereal current to go through it uh, to get it to the right malleable state. Hopefully uh, get it right with each one because I, I don't think I have a whole lot of spare splinters here. Alright, well I need you to roll um, an arcana check with advantage for using your artificer's tools. Rolling now. That's 11 plus 7 for a total of 18. That's a very good effort. So you get everything hooked up. Um, the current is running through the thermoencabulator, which the the small silvery mirror on the front, there's like uh, your standard array of glyphs, the standard line of glyphs, which does the lap of the screen. 
and everything seems to be ticking over. The current is running nicely according to your dis- uh, the display on your Thaumun cabulator. The harsh light of the operating light overhead has your task well illuminated. Everything seems to be nicely and e- evenly spaced, and so you begin the laborious process of mending this. However, a thought occurs. Yes? What do you know about Eldwood? Uh, not that much. Uh, I know that uh, it uh, it's very long-lived and that it can be preserved to maintain uh, thomic energy. It's That makes it very desirable for artificers and magical gadgeteers of all kinds. But my experience doesn't run deep with, with uh, organics or uh, anything living or dead for that matter. So I know that grandfather uh, had a little bit more, but kind of the same thing. I think we both see it more as a material to be purchased or acquired than something to be studied and understood. Yes, indeed. It is a material to be purchased, but the unique thing about it is that it is very long-lived. In fact, eternal once enchanted, and this is nothing if not enchanted. Now, if you pass any more current through this living thing, you are probably going to kill it. Hmm. All right. I'm going to try to step down to... uh two hydrocopter men, um, mender veins. See, uh, see how that works. See if I can back that off. Um, does that give me what I need or is it, or does it, uh, give it me certainly, it, it, it certainly seems to remove the sense of panic and anxiety that you were getting off of the frame. However, you are now left with the sense of a thing that is very sore and has lived with a long and untreated wound. I have the sense that happy wood will make this better. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a pause for a second. Um, actually I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, conjure some lovely clean spring water and see if, uh, I'll very delicately put a very tiny drop on it. See, uh, see if it likes that. Uh, I'm a little bit wary about how that's going to uh, interact with the ethereal current, but, uh, I'm, I'm hoping this is a, going to be good good for the wood science is risks right your caution is well placed however your restraint is a little less than it needs to be you need to make constitution safe ugh four uh cons like a plus one or plus two so <laughs> very low okay so there is a as you're futzing with your thumb and cabulator to try to adjust it to get it just right there is a pulse you know sliding your finger around the screen to adjust the current so that the water won't electrocute you and you fucking miss it while it's true that you are better at resisting electricity than most beings you are not in fact immune and so that's why the resulting feedback loop doesn't kill you it does however lay you flat on your hematite ass And with that, we return to the diplomatic delegation to Delilah. Bet, how you getting there? Well, it's the buster to the brambles. Okay. So, it's a quick jot from 
It's actually much closer from the porterhouse to the nearest Buster station than it would be from Lost Acre. The the porterhouse is in a better neighborhood, after all, closer to the Firth. So, you get up the stairs, onto the platform, and catch the next train around. Now, the quickest way to get to the Bramble is to go out towards North Shore and then catch a sky car across the Firth about three quarters of the way up, because that way you don't have to worry about going into the roundhouse at the mouth of the Firth, you know, inland of the courthouse district. There's a lot of transfers and shit down there. It just gets messy. So that's how you do it. And uh, there's just a moment where it's the three of you in, like, alone in a sky car crossing the Firth, just rocking gently back and forth with, you know, the, the ships coming and going underneath and the trains zipping along their elevated tracks and all of the lights winking on and going off and the towers around you. The towers which hold the supports for these cable cars. It's quite ingenious, really. Um, there are no open windows at the car level, but all mirrors, right? So you can see yourself reflected and this and that. You know, all the things reflected in these mirrors. The various flying contraptions that zip about the small wonders, that fly about on fans and various birds of the air. It's quite amazing. You all just sit there looking at your various windows deep in thought. Now, as you alight on the platform to get back on the buster and head to the bramble, um, you step out, shake yourselves out, and Ziva, you've got your, uh, you get your, your skirts clear of the door before they get caught and looking around, checking the transit map and roughly getting a, a feel for where you are. Um, Delilah, you come jogging up the stairs to catch the cable across the Firth to get down to Arabet's place. And lo and behold, there is Arabet and his apprentice and this doll of a woman with the most outrageously beautiful purple hair and these captivating, lambent, violet eyes set in this perfect porcelain face uh, with the... There's no possible way that that wardrobe should be functioning in this environment, and yet, despite all odds, it is. She's way overdressed. But still, it's working for her. Smile spreads across Delilah's face. Oh, bet who's your friend? May I introduce Ziva? Oh, hey. Ziva, this is Delilah. Oh, hi. Delilah, make a perception check. It's a 25. Where it has been mentioned that you draw all the light in the room towards you and then radiate it. It is as though you have met your opposite number in many ways. 
Now, Ziva, the woman who stands before you is likewise a petite, although she is quite a bit more curvaceous than you are, as she seems to lack any elvish heritage at all. Um, she draws all the light in the room and gives it off, and you stand swathed in shadow. Now, as you look at her, Delilah, you notice that every shadow on the platform leans outward from her as though she were their source, like a light that casts shadows, you know? She's still perfectly visible, but all of the shadows in the room lean to touch her. Lila reaches out to uh, take Ziva's hand in greeting. She takes it, and her hand is ice cold. Okay, ladies, I need you both to make a wisdom save. <laughs> Ooh, I rolled a 19. I rolled a 1. Oh, no. Okay, Ziva. Okay. Okay, uh, here's how this goes then. Delilah, you reach out and take Ziva's hand. Her fingers are ice cold. And then you know death. There's death, death. This is what death is like. This has never occurred to you before. I mean, things die, sure. One day you're probably going to die. I never really gave it much thought. But this, standing right in front of you, five feet tall, you know, hard to tell with that hair, but about five feet tall, maybe a hundred pounds. The end of everybody ever. Death in a dress. In big bad boots, you know, she's she's it. And all things end, except for her. This is quite a bit more than you were expecting. The feeling of it overwhelms you. The futility and, and, and the, all the entropy all at once. Just kind of crushes in on you all in a moment takes your breath away and for a moment the nothing is all that you can see until you pull your awareness away from it give your head a shake and then ziva is there and it turns out that after everything is ended oh the first thing and only is ziva it's uh she is she is beautiful and terrible and all at once you love her in despair she sort of at first is is smiling and then she kind of looks a little thoughtful. You look kind of familiar. But I don't think I've met you. Lila inhales and what looks like sunlight that was starting to breathe out of her mouth disappears. She holds her breath for a second and closes her eyes. And when she opens them again, she's something else entirely. And that sly smile slips back onto her face. And she says, oh, we haven't met. I'd remember you first, last, and forever. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, have you met Timothy? Delilah snickers and offers Ziva her arm. I'll take it. The contact isn't as violent this time. 
you're both ready for it. But uh, then again, there's no flesh to flesh, right? Okay, so you have to tell me like stuff about Arabab. Because you know him, right? Oh my girl, you have no idea. Ooh, I'm gonna get gossip. Madam Zemo's post-mortal services, providing bespoke funerals for the discerning customer. Madam Ziva is a licensed and experienced humorist trained in the memorial customs of every major culture in the kingdoms. Rooms for our services and gatherings are available at 666 Belladonna Street, or our people will come to your preferred location. Discreet, professional, and well-trained, Madam Ziva can be trusted to send your loved ones off in style. Other services include taxidermy, zonification, communication with the afterlife. Receive a 40% discount when you bring the skull of the deceased with you. Reasonable rates given in times of calamity. Ask about our group discounts. Resurrection and communication with the deceased not guaranteed. Spell components cannot be refunded. Madam Ziva is not responsible for any fear, terror, profound cosmic horror, existential angst, crisis of faith, physical expressions, fears such as pants wetting, foul odors, fainting discomfort, or utterances of those communicated with. Use at your own risk. Well, Calder, it's been a while since you've taken a jolt like that. In fact, you got hit so hard that... So much that when you awake, however long later, your mouth is dry and your tongue's been laying on the flagstones. Yeah, my mouth tastes like metal. This is, this is not like any electricity I've ever... I've ever experienced before. There's a, there's a dimension to it, something deeply metallic about it that I... It's not unpleasant, but it's it's uh, it's new. That's for sure. Yeah, and your venom glands hurt. Well, I uh, I get up, I shake it off as best as I can, trying to get the cobwebs out of my head, and I'll get my monocle and I'll uh, I'll take a look at the splinter. Does it look like the water had any benefit at all? Like I I get that I overtitrated the, the my first dose there, but I'm wondering like, does it still have that exhausted? ennui or uh, have I given it a little bit of um, a refreshment there is a black mark where the water hit and the whole thing seems to be like in pain like it's uh, it can't move or anything like that but it's just like shivering slightly to the touch are you okay boy what have you done what, are you you have an answer me in 10 minutes oh uh, hello Grandfather, um, yes, I, I suppose I'm fine. Just a bit of a jolt uh, through the work, and as is to be expected from time to time. Um, from, as the camera is from the outside and can see Calder at an angle that Calder can't, at this point he gives his jacket a quick adjustment and uh, puffs of smoke appear from the cuffs and collar. So I'm quite close to uh, fusing um, the old wood splinters to uh, attach... I guess reattach the, the lock to the mirror. Um, however, uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble calibrating the process. Well, that's because you're trying to fix it. It's not broken, it's injured. Ah. So, what, what do you suggest? I would suggest you bone up on 
your anatomy and healing techniques. That is a whole book of salads, which is in your library over there on that bookshelf, or you could probably fit it all in your thermoencabulator for your trip. But I suggest you have a look at it quickly. Pay particular attention to inanimate but living constructs on pages 328 through 418. And with that, his voice drones on pedantically, and we have another pastiche of Calder learning things this time. And by the time he's done, he has a pot of paste which uh, he is stirring with what looks like to be a broad tongue depressor type popsicle stick. All right. So uh, I put together uh, this um, poultice uh, based from uh, the the new reading that I've done. Uh, I'm going to make that uh, one of my art. I I have officer special wounds. So we'll uh, we'll, uh, go with that and um, take a look and... um, square my shoulders and uh, daub a little bit of the poultice on. The poultice soaks into the gap. The sliver shivers but does not otherwise react. I can, uh, I watch the whole thing with my monocle and I see um, I see the right kind of spark, but it's heading the wrong direction. I would imagine that it would move concentric in, but it's moving to the out. And that I'm very puzzled for a while, and I take a moment to, to ponder, and then I have an idea. I, I pop open uh, the case to the thumb and cabulator, and I go to the main winding. And uh, there, that's typically in the normal claditudinal uh, position. So I'm going to make it orthogonal. I'm going to turn it 90 degrees to the right, put it back in, and... Uh, charge up uh, the poultice one more time and uh, give another go. This time you can spend your spell slot to cast Cure Wounds and note as the the poultice takes its effect, the poultice again slithers into the gap and the sliver shivers and seals off. Sooner than later, the black mark caused by your water drop disappears the electric current has been discharged and in front of you stands a healthy thriving Eldwood frame which feels green to the touch well grandfather look at that yes much better remember not everything needs fixing some things need healing not only is it important to have the right tool for the job but it's also important to know what job you're doing yeah I see that Thank you for your help. I, uh, was quite approaching from the wrong direction entirely. No lasting harm done, I see. I certainly hope we won't know sure until we try to open it. And how long do you plan to be gone for? It's a... It's a lovely question. Um, of course, as, as little time as possible, we imagine it'll be a few days uh, to find somebody in, in the dreaming... However, I have, uh, I've been informed that time does not work quite the same way there. So I'm not entirely sure if we will be gone a few seconds or, I guess, potentially years. Um, yes, it's, uh, that is an uh, utter mystery to me right now. Then may I assume that you'll be leaving me to 
steward the Nigel and the Horde. Yes, we uh, will each uh, be needing to make some sort of arrangement, um, especially in the uh, un- hopefully unlikely situation that uh, we're gone for an extended period of time. Um, yes, thank you. Then I will do so as is my duty. You must conduct yours with all speed. We have much learning to conduct and a much shorter period than you'd think to conduct it. I don't usually hear you speak of a lack of time, Grandfather. Um, you are, what, 55 or 60? Close enough. This means that you've missed out on no fewer than 30 years of a proper apprenticeship, and if I hope to present you upon your centennial to the Council of Worms so that you may reclaim your spot, your birthright and our name, there is much work to do. Ah, I see. Yes. Well, I certainly hope our journey to uh, to recover Nari uh, is expeditious, to say the least, then. As you say, time will pass differently here, so pay attention. Keep your eyes open, your head on a swivel. Learn everything you can. What uh, What time of day is it? Does it has it made it currently? Currently, it is late afternoon, heading toward the dinner hour. Um, the others have taken off on the long journey to the Iron Fire Bramble. Fair enough. Uh, I think uh, I will uh, let uh, Arabet know. Uh, I'll message Arabet, um, and I will say, The mirror is ready. I'm staying with it to ensure its safety until we are all gathered and we are ready to pass through. Prudent, but uh, do inform the Nigel that I shall be managing things in your absence. They tend to be sticky. Well, boys, that went a little differently than you expected it to. I'm not sure how I expected that to go. Was it like that? Oh, no. I've just given up on giving Ziva expectations. Yeah, she's... There is nobody like her at all, Timothée. There's nobody that you've ever seen in your life that is remotely like Ms. Ziva. So... What about Calder? Well, Calder's taking care of himself right now. We need to follow the ladies. Oh, okay. Ladies, what are you doing? Delilah is leading Ziva back to the uh, the very shop where she served brunch to Timotei and Arabat. Boys, you've been here before, and uh, Ziva, although you never have, the Ironfire Bramble is a district that you've heard lots about, right? Like, you grew up in the Cheapside Laundries. Your mom lives in the Meadows, and that's not too far from here. So you go over the Bramble on the Buster every time you go to see your mom for dinner. You've never actually been here. Interestingly enough, you thought it was going to be a lot more blacksmithy, but there are some, like, watch and clockmakers, uh, 
all kinds of machine builders and millwrights and mechanics of all descriptions. Uh, there's a steamworks here. And looking around, the whole place just pulses with that same thermal electricity that you've recently come to associate with your friend Calder. The new lightning. Huh. This neighborhood's kind of cool. Thank you. I'm very proud of my home. Dimitri and Arabet. There is so much noise in this district. All the ticking, clicking, rattling, banging, dinging, steaming, whooshing, hissing, smashing, banging, crashing. You'd have to be deaf to live here or you'd go mad. Certainly it's loud enough around here. Is that an earshot of Delilah? Yes. Every living thing has a pulse, but... Alright, I'll listen. Roll perception. Total of 20. This is the song of the Iron Fire Bramble. All hammers and iron and steam. This is where smiths of great renown come to build the things they conceive in their dreams. This is where the great wonders are made in Bailey Mina, or at least that's the general pulse of the place. It, uh, it sees with that new magic of technology. And once you've got a feel for the din, you can tune it. It just takes a second to adjust your ear, and then all of that falls back into the, you know, into the background. And you can hear the scuff of Delilah's boot on the cobblestone as she very pointedly and noisily walks to show you. Arabit smiles. Delilah would never normally walk like that. Well, she's clearly making an example, right? Timothy, same thing. Roll perception. Um, that's a 14. For you, not quite so easy. Um, it's more of an effort. Like you see Arabet kind of pause for a second and close his eyes. And he does that thing that he calls listening to the street, right? And uh, so you decide to follow suit. But, uh, God, there's a lot of noise here. And that perfume, it's distracting. I don't know why you want to listen more to the noises here. What do you notice? There's a lot of noises here. Yeah, but you noticed something else, didn't you? Um, there's a lot of them. I said, God damn it, Carlita Hunker. We'll work on that later, Timothy. Roll again, Tim. This time with advantage. Yeah, I have a 26 now. Yeah, there's, the ticking is a lot louder. And uh, when you turn around, there is uh, the young woman from the other morning with the with the clockwork hand 
just kind of melts out from behind a light post, um, sheathing the knife out of the back of her hand as she sees Delilah nod her off. Hey, so, uh, wait, wait, wait. I think that's one of your uh, lady friends, uh, lady friends. That's where the perfume was coming from, evidently, too. And now you notice that you don't notice the background noise. And it's all falling back into the hum of the city. Without saying anything to either uh, Arabet or Timute, uh, Tiki casts an eye up and down Ziva. And then, without being pushy about it, but still being kind of pushy about it, goes into the house without saying a word. Okay. That's a friend of mine. This way. All right. Do you have any coffee? I really need some coffee. So as you go in, there's a front room, which is, uh, well, it's a sitting room, um, which has got a dining table and like six chairs crammed in there. Uh, it's not a full-size dining room, but it also doesn't seem like it's seen a formal dinner in several years. The table is pitted and scarred and uh, stained uh, in a few places. Like, you've seen blood-stained wood, and uh, that is definitely it. But it is, uh, you know, lacquered, and and this is a table which has been the centerpiece of a home for a long time. That's the first room. It's directly off to the left as you head in. Uh, up ahead, there are stairs. And to your right, an obvious kitchen door. The kitchen and Arboretum, you would think, if you know this plan, and, uh, well, these houses are typical in a few neighborhoods in Bailey Mina. Uh, that would be the kitchen and solarium. There's also two floors upstairs of bedrooms and that sort of thing. This, this house here was built for humans, and so the ceilings are only 10 feet tall. The doors are the regular width. And after the time you spent at Lost Acre, and like, I mean, your grand parlor, the place feels kind of quaintly tight. Your place is nice. Thank you. We enjoy it. Come on this way and have a seat. She'll sit down and uh, kind of reach into her pocket and um, then stop and look up at Arabet as, as he, I'm assuming, follows us in. Oh, yeah. Is it cool? Yeah, it's cool. Okay. She just, like, it's snack time. She uh, reaches into, apparently, pockets in the voluptuous skirt she has on and uh, pulls a, a small bag out of one and a thing out of the other. Oh, the thing arcane. <laughs> 
They're all tentacles and fur and teeth and eyes. It squabbles across to sit in a chair, kitty corner to Zeebus. No, sweetie, come sit on my lap. And she, she's kind of petting it and um, she starts pulling little things out of the uh, out of the bag. You see that it's um, what are apparently uh, dead insects, dried, number of dried insects. She appears to be feeding to this thing. Various mouths, too, by insect. It's it makes, by the way, Ziva, I think this is a completely logical and well thought out digestive plan. It makes perfect sense. Different intakes for different things. You know, you can keep everything else closed up and just, wow, amazingly efficient. Mammals don't have these. Just like things, they're incredibly evolved. They're so cool. Cool. Yeah, that's what I think every time I see it. Oh, shit, right. Yeah, there's other people around, Ziva. That's why she asked if it was cool before she did. But she's she's basically treating this hideous thing the way you would treat, like, a, a little lapdog. Yeah, but it was the way there was Bitsy Pookums and all this while she was feeding it bugs in different holes. It's a little weird for the rest of you. Well, she was getting right into it. Strange. Very strange indeed. Back to you. Sorry to interrupt. Once Delilah has determined that what is emerging from the pockets is not actually weapons aimed at her, she sets her basket down on the table, heads into the kitchen, knocking something with her hip on the way in. After a minute or two, she comes back with a tray of coffee that is brewing and reaches into the basket to produce croissants. It is noteworthy, Delilah, that though you went out to hip-check the kettle into, uh, above the flame, when you got in there, you found it was already there. You hip-checked the empty air. Um, in the condensation on the curved glass of the solarium window right by the stove, in thick runes, as though drawn on by a broad thumb, is the message, gone fishing, dash you. Lila smiles and draws a heart around it with her finger before making her way back into the main room. And you show up as per with your coffee brewing and your tray and all this other sort of thing. Oh my God, coffee. So we were actually making our way over here. As I was making my way to you, the stars must have aligned. Again. I'm beginning to think they're conspiring. So we have a business proposition for you. You also need a favor, but we'll get to that presently. What's your proposition? It was for you to do a favor. Oh, too. How delightful. Do go on. We're going on a short trip. My crew and I. Uh, the, um, the exact timelines we're not uh, too certain of, so uh, this could be an extended favor. But I think it will be lucrative for you. 
I dare say you have remarkably terrible timing. So you're going on a possibly extended trip to where? I'm not sure you believe me, but... My brother is missing, and we're going to find him. We're going to go into the mirror. Yeah, he's in a mirror. Which is like, you know, the kind of thing that you say that makes sense, and then you stop about think about it, and you're like, I don't think that really does make sense, though. It makes sense if you look at the creature that you're feeding. Oh, right. You know, I'm just so used to her being like this, I forget that, like, people don't usually like you this. normally see them? Well, they always look like this is their natural state. This is what they look like. It's just everybody and their, you know, delicate sensibilities can't have looking at these cute little guys. Look at this. Look at this little tentacle right there. Look at that. Look at how he's wiggling. He's so cute. And uh, the tentacles all like, you know, right. Like she's, she tickles it and this massive tentacles, like eight feet of tentacles wrap all the way up her arm over her shoulder and touch her face. And she's, she's like, oh, you, that's sort of like she's petting a kitten. Yeah, she thinks it's the cutest thing ever. So like I said, we're going to a mirror. Huh. Delilah leans in and presses, presses the button on the extremely clever coffee pot that will press the grinds itself. And once it's done, she pours coffee for all. And you need me to look after your business interests. And what does Thrasher think of that? Doesn't matter. They're mine. If you pay the rents, file the papers, and all that beautiful, lovely work that goes with running an acre... I say you keep whatever profits you can wring out of it. For the longest time, though, Delilah, Lost Acre has been all about, uh, you know, low-rent places to stay, cheap drugs, hooch, flop houses, that sort of thing. It's not a real moneymaker. It's not a bad location. I mean, with a lot of work, it could be made into something. And he has done a lot of work on it. But it's Lost Acre. Going to need to sweeten that deal a bit. Well, the VIG would be five years. Well, that's interesting, right? Five years worth of VIG? It is, but all of this is about to come under attack, too. Well, you know that. Well, like, if anybody, like, dies and you need me to bring them back I could do that I have like other spells too okay well that's interesting as well spells pardon the presumption but she doesn't look like the sort to have a magic license like, you know, mage rights when you see them. She doesn't appear to be any sort of tradesperson you've ever seen. And isn't she a little extra to be a 
card carrying wizard. Over to you. Just so long as like I don't have to, you know, do it in public. I see. And look. Sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, whatever we can do, we would do for you. I'm talking a five-year vig. And all entirely in addition to and separate from the constellation. Oh, the two are not part of the same deal. I'm really hoping you won't say no. So if you need something else from me, I guarantee anything uh, anything above and beyond, you let me know. I'm willing to make this the best possible deal for you. And you notice that I'm coming to you because no matter how much acrimony there is in our relationship, I trust you amongst all thieves. Oh. Well, it's the devil, you know. I'll... And Ziva, there's a moment there. You've seen it once before. Just once. The way he talks to her, the way he looks at her, the way he... His body language changes around her, this Delilah. He's... Well, you've gotten used to Arabette being a certain way when she's around. He's... He's all a jumble, it seems. Like, he he ain't the tough guy whenever she's about. You're noticing this. Back to you. She's kind of making a note of their relationship, wanting to get more about it, information about it later. But now is not the time. My view on the long term of this is, I'm not sure how long we're going to be gone. And you are the best person to manage the acre because you can build it into something, make it make more juice for you in the long term. There's a lot of advantages. You have a vision for this business that I don't have. That's certainly true. And yet you still don't say yes. It would like, it's just, it's my brother. She smiles a little bit. Well, I'd say you know me, Bet, but you never did. I'm going to need to sleep on it, but it's something I'm going to really consider. That's awesome. We'll be at the greenhouse. I'll pop by tomorrow for tea. Excellent. I'll have it brewing. Hey, Ziva. Hello. So, it's another long night at the Archive. Zul hasn't been around all afternoon and evening. And, you know, while the fellas are getting some things sorted, you've met that Delilah woman. She was delightful. She really was. And you're just getting a few things ready, squaring away your, you know, emergency cantrips and checking on conditions and reverberances based on what's known of the dream. Because 
here in Bailey Mina, the Fae is quite a big thing. There's lots about it in the archive. You've been pouring through things, and your purple eyes are crossing if you look at any more Fae lore, honestly. Like, the way the words squirm around on the page, now it's just giving you a headache. So, time for a palate cleanser. Yeah, I think my brain is going to explode. Earlier, you saw some illusions that uh, struck you as being particularly nari. Hmm. Then there was some transmutations which might really help refine your plasticizing process for Primus. Uh, I don't know if I really want to get into that right now. Fair enough. There is conjuration and summonings, dimensional resonances, that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Is that more it? She kind of stands in front of the books and the scrolls and just sort of casually flips through them and just sort of lets her eyes wander and picks the first thing that has a title that sounds interesting. Well, alphabetically, there's uh, Abandelard's Compendium of the Outer and Inner Worlds, alphabetical, categorized by species, summoning, care, and binding thereof. Huh. Summoning. Like, you don't normally read smut, but like I said, right? Yeah. Sounds interesting. Something different. Uh, you pick it up, and it's a bit of a thrill. Like, this is some black magic, Ziva. What? Ooh. Well, black, white, white gray, orange, purple, mauve. Fuchsia, magenta, it don't matter. Magic is magic, right? Yeah, but, you know. This is one of those books I'd get in trouble for reading at school. Well, it's all purple to you, isn't it? <laughs> She gets all comfy on the couch and starts reading. Okay, so it starts off with a brisk chapter on the different resonances of the nine worlds of the Tellurian cosmos. And this is some first-year cosmology and astrology shit, right? Yeah, she kind of skims it. It's a basic divinatory and scrying sort of magic. Now, this is related to summoning tangentially because it always helps to be able to see where you're leaping in the terms of a teleportation. Yeah. So after you speed through the the first few chapters on elemental harmonics and things like this, so like again, pretty basic um, first or second year apprentice stuff. It's then that you get into some interesting prose. See, somebody has jammed five or six extra pages into this book. Okay, that's always the good stuff. People's personal notes are, like, the best. It takes you a second to realize that they've made their own fusion alphabet out of uh, Paraduan Elementalist glyphs um, and what looks like Amruni script. Interesting. Yeah, it's about 45 minutes of hard puzzling, Ziva, while you roll an arcana check to see how well you do. Okay. Uh, 
That is a 10 plus 8, so 18. Oh, did you look at that? The thing is, it's, it's all written at a diagonal angle, right? So while everything lines up and it seems to be in straight lines, if you hold the page vertically or horizontally, it makes no sense. But if you hold it up kind of on a diagonal between horizontal and vertical, bam, everything lines up. It is simultaneously written in Paraduin and, Ele and Elven. Would you look at that? Cool. I should like change some of the ways I write my spells. Oh. Anyway, this, it turns out, is a saucy little invocation from the wildlands north of Kiraval. It deals with the summoning of beings of the abyss. Like, it's fucking dirty like the stuff you would never uh -uh. even let your mom know you know the meaning of yeah. yeah she's kind of reading it and she's like she's occasionally making faces um you know of 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 like what people really do this but it's but she's reading it because she can't it's sort of a, I can't believe someone would actually do this. Well, as it happens, you're a little bit flushed, actually, right? You're a little, little dew on the old, on the old brow there. Because <laughs> this is really exciting. This is not magic that you've seen before, right? Like, what is this doing accessible to anybody? Normally, a book like this would be chained and locked into the dangerous book section of the back-ass cloister of this forgotten abbey of one of these insanely bigger on the inside libraries that the universities hoard knowledge in. Yeah, why is this even here? Hello, darling. Mm, oh, hey, baby. What are you reading? I found this crazy book, with, like all of these notes in it and what is this even doing in the library? This is like, what? You turn then to face your beloved and see that Zulgrubulb is a pillar of ink which rises from the carpet. Um, it has a humanoid head, shoulders, and long arms with long, too many jointed fingers that hang down lacks at its sides. Its eyes are narrowed and its face has no features. There is only the soft white glow from slitted eyes and a distinct impression, even through your social inadroitness, that Zulgrubwelb is unhappy. What? What's the matter? Well, did you get that? Uh, I don't know, it was over there on the shelf. I was just like looking for something. Was it indeed? That is a dangerous book. Where did you find it? Oh, she gets up and walks over. Except that Zulgrubwelb is now looming directly over you. Uh,. Always like you are, and I thought you were different. Always like mortals. 
You know well what stunt you dare play stupid with me, Ziva. What? What are you talking about? That spell is meant to dominate my kind. And I have never known one of yours who has been able to resist the temptation once reading it and so... Tell me why you would read such a thing. <laughs> oh. Oh my god. From the first words written on the abyss I crawled. And I will be here long after your flesh has rotted from your bones. Hey, 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 look. You will not dominate me. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Look. And Zulgrobwelb is gone, along with the Tratus. She just curls up in a ball. And she gets uh, Sia out of her little pocket. And gives her a hug and curls up in a ball and has a good cry for a while. Five minutes into her crying, the door to the room opens up and a tall, broad, square-shouldered refrigerator of a man, (sighs) dressed in a fine suit, comes in and kneels down to where she sits shaking on the couch and scoops her up, carries (sighs) her out to the carriage, where he takes her home. I fucked up so bad. No. I... I know. I just... I wasn't even thinking. How do I fix this? Like... I can't believe I was such an idiot. He's never gonna believe me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. How come you're so sweet? The carriage pulls up behind the garage. Sia scuttles off your lap and rushes over to hit the latch, which drops the weight, which raises the garage door. Pate walks in and parks himself as Primus helps you from the carriage. Gets off and pats Primus's shoulder and goes over and gives Pate a big hug and just leans on him for a while. Pate flicks its ear in support of your desolate mood. Yeah, you love me, buddy. You're a good horse. You don't judge me if I make mistakes. Now, I don't know what to do. From the kitchen door, which sits open, there is the hiss of steam from the espresso maker. Oh my god, coffee. Yes. She goes inside. There's an octopus on your counter fixing you an espresso. Oh, sweetie pie. She gives Sia a little pat on the head. This greasy black oily octopus thing winks, uh, winks its uh, blinks its eyes at you happily, and then once the espresso is poured, crawls into the sink and opens the valve for the tap. <laughs> you having a bath, sweetie? Okay. I'm gonna go set 
in my front window and stare out of it for like a while until I stop feeling stupid. There's like a, a tentacles up motion from the sink as the tentacles all melt away, as the tentacles start to melt away. Um, before they disappear entirely, one grabs the valve and shuts it off. And uh, peeking into the sink, there's like this little fang-toothed quipper swimming around in a low, in a lazy circle. It is black and off black and striped. She just gets herself in one of her big, comfortable, overstuffed chairs and sips her espresso and stares out the window. One of the urge ghosts pulls out the stool at the piano and flips back the cover to the keys and waits expectantly. Oh, yeah, you can play. Please. And some light piano music filters into the scene. That really helps, actually. It helps me think. I mean, like... So, like, they have every right to be angry at me. I mean, I totally, totally understand why Zul feels that way. And, like, I just didn't even think about it. I was just like, ooh, magic. Ooh, this is, like, special. This is weird stuff that I've never read before. And and then it's like, oh, wait a minute. There's a reason I've never read this. Duh. I'm like, just, I don't even know how to do this girlfriend thing. No wonder I'm fucking it all up. The place is closed for the evening, and it's just you and the ghosts alone in the parlor. She finishes her espresso, and she sort of lays on the carpet and listens to the piano for a while, and stares at all the intricate woodwork in the ceiling and all of the hidden gargoyles and Primus comes in from the garage then having shut everything else down takes his coat off hangs it up and then goes and stands in the front room as he does folding his hands in the small of his back and assuming his posture of ease and that's a good image to pull out on as an overhead shot of Ziva lying on this intricate carpet, staring up at the ceiling and musing on the universe as her purple hair crawls all around on the carpet, moved by ghosts. Mm-hmm. She kind of looks like she's underwater against the background of this plush sitting room, and it's quite strange indeed. Runelanders was recorded live and curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes by going to runewise.games. That's it, just runewise.games. Like what you hear? We'd love to know what you think. If you like us, tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. You can leave us a comment at RuneWise.Games. Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to RuneLanders at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at RuneLanders. Next time on RuneLanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. One more thing before we sign off for this episode. Today is March 20th, 2020. 
We're right in the middle of this whole COVID-19 thing, and although we'll probably look back on this as a big overreaction in a couple years, right now, quite a few people are pretty scared. So thanks for listening, spending your time with us. We're back in two weeks. We'll see you then. Till next time, take good care. You know where to find us. Until next. <laughs>